Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Documentality, part of the Friends in Your Head network at friendsinyourhead.com. I'm your host, Eddie Doty. We look at two or more documentaries through the lens of a common theme. This week's theme, Controlling the Narrative. We're going to look at this theme through two documentaries, 2013's Stories We Tell and 2003's Overnight. Two very different films, but I think they go together pretty well uh, for reasons that we're going to get into. But before we get to that, I want to introduce the panel. To my right, Teague Christie. Hello. Michael Dorkman Scott. Hello. Trey the Amazing Stokes. What? <laughs> and it's Eddie. And it's me, yeah. Eddie. Uh, so... Yeah, I, I saw we all I think we all saw overnight around the same time that 2004 ish time frame. Uh, and then we saw not all of us saw stories we tell, but early on, I jumped on the bandwagon for stories we tell. And I know Trey kind of took that ball and ran with it. And, <laughs> I did. And I really, like, I think just entirely based on your recommendation, I think I heard, you know, I knew the movie existed, but then I was like, checked it out. And I was like, oh, man, this is awesome. <laughs> it's it, you know it, it didn't get it's it's one of those weird movies that it got it won the L.A. Film Critic Documentary Award over other massive documentaries this last year like uh, active it beat out active killing it beat out 20 feet from stardom it beat out all these other great documentaries and then it didn't even get a nomination so I think this movie kind of gets an Oscar nomination yeah Oscar nomination yeah. For, I, it, was I, in, it was in the short list it didn't make the final five and uh, for whatever reason and I think you know I'm talking to other people about it it is a little bit polarizing um, so and not everybody loves it I stand by it I root for it I advocate for it heartily but speaking of controversial before we get to uh, <laughs> stories we tell. Let's let's talk about the ad hoc independent king of controversy, and that is one Mr. Troy Duffy, and <laughs> talk about his film Overnight in two thousand three. Well, it's not his. That's no, it's his a documentary story. about his him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but he. But we all should. We Insofar should, as the portrait Whistler's mother is Whistler's mother's. Yeah. Right. But make <laughs> yes. no mistake, he commissioned the thing. Like when the right. thing yeah, started that's off. That's true. So let's get ahead. Let's just jump right into it. Uh, Teague, when did you hear of Overnight? Now, I've still not seen Boondock Saints. Yeah. <laughs> nor have I. Nor have I. Nor do I care and, to. And, and I'm pretty sure it goes without saying that nobody has seen All Saints Day. Uh, it's nobody. Nobody right. at all. Um, I haven't seen Boondock Saints, but I saw it overnight years ago, like five or six, something like that. Uh, 2005, 2006. Sorry. I'm trying to adopt the Brooks Ots sort of thing, like Ot 5, you know. <laughs> um, it's just a hell of a thing. I wasn't prepared for it when I saw it because at first... I had not been given any sort of a framing device. So when he at the beginning of the movie is like, this is going to be a movie about our meteoric rays to start a man. I'm like, oh, cool. Let's do this. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. And over the course of it, I'm watching it and I'm doing that like really slow Bill Paxton, like grin to grimace. Like, oh, my God, the twister's coming our way now. <laughs> yeah. And it's unbelievable. This is one of those movies. It has nothing in common with the act of killing, except it's it's exactly the same thing where it's like <laughs> you can't you can't set up this documentary like this is a thing right. that I can't believe cameras rolled on this Oh my God! Wow, what and, an amazing insight! And to just give an overview for people who have not heard of either Troy Duffy, Boondock Saints. At first, I don't blame you, but basically, if you were if you were in in any way interested in film circa 1997, as I was just sort of beginning to be, you heard of the story. Of, there were a couple things happening at once there. Firstly, Kevin Smith was only a few years removed, so Kevin Smith had just become a thing, and sort of that rags to riches guy worked at a you know at a, a grocery store or in a video store, and he he wrote his own movie, and it was very much that spirit of independence was very much on the rise. You had uh, in '97, you had Ben Affleck and Matt Damon winning uh, best Oscar for their script. They were just a couple dudes who were working actors but they they made it man so there's a strong narrative going around uh, uh narrative yeah. there's a strong narrative going around about 
you know, the new face of independent cinema and how you could literally just be in your garage or at some crappy coffee shop. And no other story epitomized this more than Mr. Troy Duffy. Uh, Troy Duffy was a bartender here in Los Angeles. I forget the name of his bar, but I've actually been to it a few times. Um, it's, That's why you can't remember. Well, back when it was, uh, it's not up, it's not open anymore. It was it, as at the end of the film, you see it being torn down, which is as about a blunt hammer metaphor <laughs> yeah, you could right. possibly get. But Troy Duffy was a bartender and post Pulp Fiction, he said, hey, I can do that. And he wrote, in my opinion, a script that is more or less a very cheap uh, vengeance alpha male knockoff of Pulp Fiction called the Boondock Saints. And then here comes the legion of Boondock fans who are going to rip me apart for it. Um, but it was it was OK, you know, but the script got a lot of buzz. He got signed over at William Morris and he ended up getting that script got bought um, in the biggest sweetheart deal to date. $300,000 for the script. He got to direct it. His band got to do the soundtrack. And then Harvey Weinstein was going to buy his GD bar that he worked at and have Troy run it. So his day to day, he's just going to hang out at this bar that produced the script. Um, this was at the height of... That's the kind of shit you would write in your own awful Mary Sue story. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Totally, and, totally and people would be like... And then uh, Hollywood just reached down and what? planted a big wet kiss on my yeah. Well, like, that's kind of the point is, yeah. is that happened... And then what happened? Yeah, yeah. And, and so then, so the movie picks up right after this. All these things take place. So we're gonna follow Troy Duffy and his gang of misfits as they storm Hollywood. Except that didn't really happen. <laughs> yeah. uh, take, go ahead and take it, Troy. Unfortunately, well, uh, the the I th- I feel like ever since ever since this movie uh, came out. Everyone who's making a documentary about anything is hoping, oh, my God, I hope this turns into overnight. Because you see, like, you know, like, oh, boy, I'm going to cover, you know, the, the you know, the, what was that? What was that guy who was in uh, the, the AIDS movie? He has a band. Working on Jared Leto. Oscar, Jared Leto. Jared Leto. Jared Leto. You know, yeah, a, a documentary came out about his band and their struggles and trying to get yeah. out from under their label. <laughs> I just feel like the documentary makers of that were like, I hope this just crashes and burns, man, because we <laughs> could have such a great movie. So I often actually uh, parrot it's thematically it's appropriate with stories we tell. But but when I'm watching it uh, on my own, because I revisit this movie like once, once a year, a year yeah. Or so. yeah. It's, um, it's a good object lesson. Yes, I, well, I and I pair it with uh, Men of La Mancha for the same reason. That's with, a good uh, lost in La Mancha. Uh, lost in La Mancha. Yeah. La Mancha yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah, um, that's a documentary about Terry Gilliam as he was trying to make uh, Don Quixote. Yeah, yeah. yeah the man it, even with the best failed. of intentions, yeah. you can still yeah. That's a that, train so ride. both together. It's like okay, this is what happens. First of all, don't be this guy, and second of all, fucking shit happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah, and if, if, if this happens, try and hang in there. On one hand, you can't control it. Hollywood yeah. does to you. On the other hand, you can totally yeah. control. Overnight, Overnight reminds me of uh, a book I've flogged before, and uh, I'll flog it again. A book called *The Devil's Candy*, where um, I believe the author was Brian, one of Brian De Palma's assistants, and uh, originally, and uh, and she just said, "Hey, I'd like to, you know, they were they were going to do *Bonfire of the Vanities*, you know, with Tom Hanks and Bruce Willis, based on the biggest novel of the year and a huge bidding war, and it's going to be the greatest movie ever." And she goes, "I'd really like to write a book about this." And Brian De Palma says, "Cool, you have total access." And then it turned out to be the biggest turkey of of you know its time. Um, so she was like, you know, "Oh my God, I've got you know." I was like, "This would have been one of those sort of like you know airport like, oh, how'd they make you know, *Bonfire of the Vanities*? Yeah, I guess I'll pick that up." To how the hell did that happen? <laughs> and so it's all about the making of *Bonfire of the Vanities*. And uh, so it was just one of those happy accidents of like, "Oh my God, I'm in a train wreck. This is awesome." <laughs> so I think that's I think that I feel like that's what happened with *Overnight* as right. well, where they oh, yeah. started to go bad. That's when the filmmakers were like, "Oh, we may be on to something here." P.J. O'Rourke talks about the uh, the. 
the certain thrill a war correspondent has when they realize they are suddenly in the middle of something god-awful. Because they're like, I was just, you know, covering this election in, in Korea, but now I think we're talking Pulitzer because this is going to be some gnarly right. stuff. So so the, the fascinating thing about Overnight is the fact that it starts out as this one kind of movie. Right. And then just everything goes completely off the rails. The, the filmmakers of this, uh, I swear to you, I'm not making this name up, Tony Montana... And Mark Bryan Smith, they were friends of Troy Duffy, and yeah. they were part of a group Troy Duffy put together called The Syndicate, because if you're 12 years old and you need a name for the club, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what you want to do. Pull up the ladder. And, his, the and, he, and his idea is very noble. It's also the same idea I think everybody has when they're 19, which is, oh, my friends are going to join me, and we're all going to kick ass, and I'm just going to support <laughs> them as we all take over in our various own ways. And so he wanted to support them as documentary filmmakers, and he's like, yeah, let's, you know, let's That'll be let's part of my this. whole franchise. Exactly. Man, you'll, yeah. you'll be one arm of The Syndicate. And yeah. the, the documentary, the, the filmmakers are very blatant about that in the beginning. You see some of those earlier interactions early in the film. Mike, I know you love this one. Uh, what was your sort of react? How did you come about hearing about this one? Overnight? Yeah. I think I, think I wound up hearing about it um, because I was, I was working at Blockbuster at the time. And I saw <laughs> nice. it. On, or I was either, I, I, maybe I worked there a little later, but I was in Blockbuster a lot because that used to be a thing. And uh, and I would see it on the shelf and I'd just seen right. Boondock Saints. And I was like, oh, cool, okay, that's, you know, a thing. And I think, and I didn't know that, I didn't know that that's, you know, <laughs> what the story was. I was like, oh, interesting, a, a separate movie about the making of the Boondock Saints. Because, <laughs> like, you know, there's very little on the DVD, it, you know, the the actual Boondock Saints, like, in terms of behind the scenes content or whatever. So I was <laughs> what, like, how would that be? Yeah, well, exactly. So, was, oh, they have a, this whole other movie for it. And then I watched it and I was like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. And yeah, the, the fact that um, they continue rolling, which they talk about, like they discuss it. And they even discuss it. The most fascinating thing is they even discuss it with him. Like they even say, would you like us to stop? Because this is. Like, do you the, realize how this looks? Yeah, this is <laughs> yeah. this is burning down around us, and we're recording all of it. Right? <laughs> Would you like us to stop? And he's like, he's so he's convinced. Like, this is the beginning of his kingdom, and he wants it on. Like, yeah, on, he wants it recorded. He's so narcissistic about it. He's like, absolutely, continue filming. Like, he doesn't see that things are imploding. He That's has like, like this weird persecution process yeah. uh, complex because he keeps thinking like, you know, because I think from his perspective, and I think he even says it. It's like at some point he's going to rise above out of all this bullshit, mm-hmm. and he's going to conquer. And so he wants it on film. All yeah. the people who doubted him, right? You know what I mean? Like Harvey and and William Morris and all these other people. Like he he really believes. He's, he's, but he uh, even starts like attacking the documentary crew. Yeah. And it's like, uh, <laughs> that, and, and that comes back to what you're talking about. It's like, you know, they, well, and, and maybe, maybe there was less of an awareness there because now we're, you know, in, in the age of reality TV and stuff like that. We understand better how much you can control the narrative yes. when, when you control the, the material, you know? Uh, and I don't think he understood that. Yeah. that it's like, um, they can, they can just use this part and yeah. never let you speak again. And right. this is what the world is going to see, you know. So Troy Duffy could could be a, a saint <laughs> for, for, for all we know, just based on the documentary, because it's like he's not the one controlling how right. he comes off. Talk about think, controlling your narrative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't think he is. I think it's very clear that, <laughs> yeah. that Overnight is... Actually, pretty pretty truthful. <laughs> you see, you see, from, you see enough of it to where you're like, you okay. see enough of it that it's like there is no way that they fabricated right. yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's, it's not like, like, it's like, well, even if he like 
rescued nuns and orphans off camera. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, still, you're still the guy who does this. Yeah. You're still the guy who does the rest of this movie. Um, at a certain point, it's like, you can't invent these shots. Like, right. I don't think he would have participated in a forgery of this shot. I don't, it's just a one take shot of him saying these things. Like, that's it too. At it's, a certain point, it's like, you can't fabricate that yeah. sentence. And when they don't cut it, away, when they don't it. like, you know, Bravo Channel, like cut, cut it right. into like three syllables a piece. And, you know, right. it's like, no, he, he said that whole thing. And, and I, think, I think that that was probably, I mean, part of it was probably the budget. Like they probably only had one camera. On they, yeah, that, the yeah, I was just going to say. That it, pretty, well, but people, you know, the technology Eddie, Eddie here can yeah. tell us that, you know, that you can take a speech and cut it and you know, pop it into black and white and back and forth. There's a million Day ways. To, oh, yeah. And you can, <laughs> exactly. or, or, There's and a million you, ways to chop a sentence can, into you, a smaller you sentence. You can always use other, you know... Uh, you cut away to a reaction. Cut away to a reaction. You, know, you, you, you lay that. it on top of other montage. You know, it's like it's a million... So, yeah, but again... The, the, the fact, fact that, that they, they just they just said here him him here's him talking here's uh, him okay. Warner yeah that I mean part of it is limitation of the technology at the time because this is ninety seven to two thousand one ish and and so which and it's shot obviously on mini DV and it's or, you know and it's shot uh, some elements are on film you can tell they did what everybody did in that time which is main camera on mini DV and then someone's gonna run an eight or a sixteen just to yeah. get the cool MTV look uh, especially when they get into like the band recording their stuff but by and large it's just one camera you know it's just one camera yeah. recording the shit and you can see that and as as good as the film is I don't think the the edit like their editorial skills were sophisticated enough to pull off many of those tricks yeah. <laughs> to their advantage ultimately right. yeah. Yeah. because no, that, because they, then they, they, they couldn't they're they credible they yeah exactly tarting up yeah. um what ended up what i found interesting about this is that uh you know ultimately what can make or break a good documentary is access having access to your subject access to the storyline they had unfettered access yeah and what ends up becoming like this ad hoc narrative device to like kind of uh, sort of like you know sort of like speed markers along the way or just sort of like you know a, a roadmap i guess are these weird roundtable meetings he kept holding mm. like and what was interesting and fascinating to that uh, to me is is and this is why i think this falls in in the idea of controlling the narrative is that his priorities change like invert 180 from meeting to meeting it's like the number one priority is the film and, if, and he's telling the he's just browbeating all these people who are doing <laughs> shit for him for free ostensibly yeah. and like if anybody in the film needs something you help them out and then like the next week it's like the band is the number one priority <laughs> and just as like as his as he's starting to fall and crumble and sort of lose the foot you know his the ground beneath his feet um these meanings become like exhibit A in his own sort of contradiction. What, what do you guys make of Troy Duffy as a as a character, if not a human being? Well, if anyone <laughs> listening has one of those friends who got like a minor in psychology in college, <laughs> if, and they just love to sit there and armchair psychoanalyze people, anything with it you should give them this movie as a Christmas present. Yeah. Like, here you go, I got you all this candy. Go for it. Yeah. Like, you could you figure this out. You could totally. I mean, on one hand, it's possible that it's just one hundred percent his. Fully honest, psych, like psychology, like his his brain. That's just right. That's how he sees it. That's maybe they left out an an incredible amount of context that totally makes everything true. Duffy's saying, right? It's just it doesn't really seem that way, and you have to wonder what's what's this guy's deal specifically. Like, is it is it simply that he just wants this so much, and he's got his blinders on? He doesn't want to. Is it like a denial thing, or is it more? a big personality thing then we we get to know because we're not him nor his therapist it's just this guy happening at all doesn't surprise me one bit because i'm sure this is happening constantly it's just the guy that this happens to repeatedly like five or ten times a year somewhere in hollywood this story is happening to some guy 
he doesn't ever get this deal too. Right. Like yeah. this this level of like well I, like object denial, and then also this level of oh my god, look at what the world bestowed upon him is the thing that makes overnight this crazy thing that I you know I can right. act of killing. I I mean I think that's that's exactly it. You you're talking about you know we've all got the friend with the thing. I I feel like we've all met a Troy Duffy. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. and and so you you're saying you know oh you know we don't know on the outside, but I go but I. Yeah, I, I know that guy. Yeah, I've, I've, met, I've dealt I with that met guy. Him. Um, and I think that's exactly it. Where the, you have this personality that believes, uh, you know, the, just the world owes me everything, right. and then the world gave him everything and totally <laughs> validated that. And I think that was part of that. That became it just just based on what we see in the film. That became part of it, where it was he essentially and we've you know we've talked about this with other filmmakers as well but he genuinely became convinced like he could do no wrong like the world was the universe was completely in line with him and that's why you know you see him like mouthing off to harvey weinstein and then all this other stuff because because he thinks well everything is just destined to go my way i was right all along i was right right. exactly as much as this double feature kind of like works perfectly on the subject of controlling your narrative i could also make an argument very obviously for this one, but for both of them, that the other, the same theme could combine these two movies would be um, entitlement. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, like, I get what you're saying. Look at what Troy Duffy thinks the world owes him. My God, no. In the chat room, it's funny. Rob's saying my favorite part of overnight is when Duffy is talking about how everyone's against him and Harvey Weinstein's an asshole, and then it just cuts to windmills. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I see what you did there. Yeah, and that's. I mean, look the uh, and, and from a filmmaking technique standpoint, the. They do a sort of a lot of obvious metaphor like that throughout. Like I said, the the movie ends with the bar being demolished, and, and the movie starts with the bar the night that he's celebrating his sale. Uh, so I mean, it's obviously there, there's some easy stuff going on there. What I think elevates this from because there have been fascinating documentaries um, about like the making and breaking of a movie. You lost La Mancha, easily mm-hmm. a big one. Another one, and I'm going to kind of do this from now on in these episodes where even when we talk about documentaries individually i'm going to kind of point you in the direction of a couple others um there is only it's only about an hour long uh and it came out in i want to say 2001 but it's called killing priscilla and mm. it's a documentary about the guy who wrote and directed his name escapes me but he wrote and directed uh priscilla queen of the desert oh. uh, australian filmmaker and then immediately after that he made another movie that kind of flopped but after that he's given a whole bunch of money no he's not actually given a whole scratch scratch he's only given 12 million dollars to make a spy action thriller called eye of the beholder with mm. ashley judd and ewan mcgregor and wow. yeah and talk about in 45 minutes, that movie does a really great job of saying, like, yes, it's a $12 million budget. Nine of it is going to producers and actors <laughs> and, so, and lawyers. $3 million is what we've got to make our movie. And, uh, and it just all goes wrong. And to the point where he ends up spending his own money to shoot, to do reshoots. And you literally, like, the shadowy foreign investors are, like, kind of only barely seen on camera and they don't want to be filmed. It's, like, it's it's a really great example of how you can completely lose yourself in a film similar to La Mancha. Mm. There's a lot of great documentaries that are like that. What I think... I uh, love those. Yeah, I love those, too. And I, but I Which think, is totally navel-gazing. Acknowledge, but it, yeah. I love them. It's weird because I hate going and seeing fictional films about Hollywood. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, outside of, like, The Player and a couple others. But um, what el- what separates Overnight for me and what I think elevates it is you have this really interesting family dynamic because one of the guys in direct opposition to Troy is his brother, who is the lead singer of their band, who they renamed the Boondock Saints because why not? Um, <laughs> but to see the breakdown of that relationship over the course of the film 
it's actually it, it, at times for me at least it, it was oddly affecting and it was mm-hmm. like it's like oh man it's it's more than just a spoiled guy losing his toys he's like losing the important yeah. relationships in his life right yeah. so i mean to me at least that played really really well so yeah, yeah. it reminds me there's another movie I, is it called dot com or something like that there's a documentary about I, i've seen one called yeah there's, it's a document it's so. something like that. yeah the uh, startup.com startup yeah yes. that's a great one too. which is a similar kind of story it's about these two basically two guys who who in the you know dot com bubble get some financing for their brilliant website which is going to be called gov.com i think or something <laughs> uh, like no, that. govworks.com govworks.com yeah. where you can like you know pay your parking tickets and renew your driver's yeah. license and everything else on a, on a national level and it's all about one guy is the front man and he's mr charisma he's the guy who's on the talk shows and does all the news and the other guy is kind of the coder who who stays back in the office and it's all about how they get their funding and they get more funding and they get more funding and then they launch the website and it doesn't work and it's not popular and and one guy wants out and he wants his shares right. and it turns into a really awful it, ugly battle it gets really bad yeah. and and it's the same story where this awesome thing was going to be happening so they said oh you can document it and these people ended up ca- you know capturing this crash and burn right. instead um that we're going to do startup.com uh, along with uh the one we're going to do with that one is is it's really close in terms of theme but also subject matter uh, another one was called e-dreams mm. which was about cosmo.com if anybody remembers that one oh. cosmo was basically pink dot on steroids ah, okay. and you could literally order ice cream and rent blockbuster and get a thing delivered to your door via moped uh, <laughs> except it they literally lost five cents on every transaction so <laughs> i was gonna say I was like, that, that sounds like a good idea it's, but yeah. it's, 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 it's the blue monday single of dot coms uh, <laughs> oh, because it just loses money all the time we'll get there eventually but that is thematically a, a, a very good point but to me it's like i felt really bad for um, for for Troy Duffy's brother because like it, yeah. and and and, yeah. and what ultimately was sad is that Troy Duffy didn't even really realize what he was losing. You know, it was just another yeah. thing along the way yeah. that he was lo- you know, that he was losing. And anyone because, because anyone he didn't said, yeah. see he didn't see it as as losing from from his perspective. You know, he was a star on the rise and he was doing everyone else a favor yes. by allowing them to hitch to his wagon. Their loss, yeah. yeah, yeah. And anyone who said, "Hey, maybe we shouldn't do this this way," was oh no, thought crime, thought crime. Oh, you are right. out, you know. And, and that and to me, all that behavior is him trying to control his own narrative. Yeah. Like, to me, all that is him saying, you know, if he can take the initiative, and I see this a lot in people that you know who cut people out of their lives very quickly it's like they do that so that they can kind of get to the story first you know what i mean so it's like well no this was what happened because i cut them off yeah i did you know yeah. it's, it's a way to assert control i could see that that was it was not gonna be healthy so yeah it's so, it's true you see people who talk you know in in relationships and stuff they talk about well i'm always the one who breaks up exactly you know, I always do. i've never been broken up with exactly I always, it's like well <laughs> what does that ultimately you say sound about you? fun yeah <laughs> you sound fun it's like wow you you have no friends that you've known yeah. longer than five years that's a weird coincidence so you, and among <laughs> other things you don't know yet what it's like to be broken up with yeah <gasps> you haven't had that? that experience how about that yeah. um but i i'm also uh, i'm now that we're talking about it i'm kind of curious and you were talking about these round tables and and him trying to control the, his own narrative mm-hmm. i wonder how much was affected by the presence of the camera i yeah and and yeah. him saying okay i have to i have to look like i know what the fuck i'm doing yeah. and that's why he keeps calling these meetings and just mm-hmm. trying to look like he's got a plan and totally not having one and because when you he doesn't remember when you cut it together you see the contradictions and stuff yep. like that but he doesn't think about it that way it's like i've just got to look like course correct i'm in charge yeah yeah and and uh do that and i i would say there's probably you know as, as all of us here know, it's like when you've got a camera stuck in your face, you actually forget about it after a little while. You stop thinking about it. it takes about 25 minutes. Yeah. yeah. But um, 
but there's got to be. I, I think there's there's certainly some aspect of that too. Absolutely. To what he was doing. I mean, it's. I mean, we've all had bosses where it's like, well, the boss is holding another meeting again because that's their way of yeah. like trying to assert control over yeah. the situation. Yeah. So we're not doing anything right now because we're having to go to the meeting instead exactly. to talk about what we're doing. And everyone's had in a weird way. In a weird way. Office. I was yeah. gonna say in a weird yes. way. Overnight is kind of like an office comedy. <laughs> yeah. In the sense that it it's just, but except if it's the office, bars. If, if that company didn't make paper, if they made movies, right? And and, and Michael Scott was a well, the other Michael Scott. Yeah. Sorry, Michael Scott. <laughs> it was a total like blowhard as opposed to. A, a nincompoop right yeah. so the british office I, you yeah. know there's there's that <laughs> yeah there is that scientific axiom where you cannot observe an experiment without altering in some way the results of the experiment right. yeah and filmmaking and documentary filmmaking is the same way you can't run a camera without the second you're running camera on somebody you're changing their behavior mm. like in some small way and that's why you got to wait not just 20 minutes not usually a day but several months and sometimes several years that's why like some of the best documentaries are things like hoop dreams where it takes five years to complete uh, or stevie which is another one by steve james which took was over the course of like six years because in that aggregate you do get the real person boiled down um the problem the problem is they like it or not whether they like it or not i like in the chat the point rob was just making where he he says there are directors who get away with duffy's behavior but they're better directors exactly yeah well that's if you're successful the problem is that the system that we all work under rewards that behavior if you made money with your movie Mm -hmm. you know you can continue to be that guy and and they'll keep throwing and they'll keep throwing money at you yeah yeah. And, uh, you know, that's the sad tragedy of it is, is, you know, if you if you happen to have a movie that's successful, uh, then that re- behavior continues to be rewarded. It's not a personality yeah. meritocracy here, guys. Not at all. But, uh, and, but that's the it's thing. It's like, like, yep, yep. Yeah, ultimate, that made a tremendous amount of money. OK, but, you're but in. even even people who work with him, it's like, yeah, the, this guy's insufferable and he's a dick bag. But at the end of the day, we made an awesome movie. Yeah, I'd work with him again. Sure. You know, and, and we all have those people and that's fine. There are people it's like. I really don't want to go see this person again, but I enjoy working <laughs> yeah. with them because creatively it's rewarding yeah. and we make a thing I'm proud I of. I did get that Oscar. So. Yeah. Second degree fun as opposed yeah. to first degree fun. <laughs> and yeah, to really. me, ultimately, and you know, as kind of the story of the film goes on, ultimately he gets independent financing for Boondock Saints on a much more limited budget. They go, they make it. And you know what? And fucking A, Harvey Weinstein sends a fruit basket to say congratulations on your first day of filming. He yeah. gives him every out to not be an asshole. But yeah. anyway, so they, they yeah, also... Harvey Weinstein of all, but like he's... Yeah. Harvey, Harvey Weinstein be, is trying so hard yeah. to be Good guy, how, do, how do you make Harvey Weinstein the hero of a movie? Yeah. You have to contrast him <laughs> right. with someone even worse. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein on the hero's journey, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Like, exactly. just, Harvey Weinstein knows all about humility and uh, you know reaching across the aisle, but uh, not not Mr. Duffy. There is that there is that great story at the end where they're interviewing a film critic, and she says, "I ran to Harvey at Cannes the year that Boondock played, uh, and it was literally the day after Boondock screened. To like nobody gives a shit." Uh, and he, she, this film credit goes up to Harvey, and the first thing out of Harvey's mouth is like, "Troy Duffy, I told you." Like, like, it's like that, that was the, like he's at Cannes doing million dollar deals for acquiring films left and right. The first thing he wants to talk about is how much of an asshole Troy Duffy is. Mm. Like that's ultimately saying something. So you know, I mean, it's it's a. I, I don't know where we're kind of petering off with this, but it's so he makes his film and he ultimately is able to, to get to make a movie that at the end of the day, I mean, Boondock Saints, does anybody really like it or has anybody seen it? I, I haven't seen it. I think it's okay. It's okay. I've it's, always heard of it. It's what, like it's a Pulp Fiction knockoff, you know, yeah. okay. It feels, it feels very, well, 90s? It, feels, it, it feels very 90s. It feels yeah. very, Tarantino just happened and so everybody's yes. trying to, I think... Of all of those, of all the people trying to chase that lightning, he got kind of the closest to it because a lot of people were just kind of insufferable. They're like, "Yeah, they're going to talk about fast food because that's what made Pulp Fiction work." And like, right. that's, yeah. and and so he actually got to 
kind of a story. And I was, you know, when when it came out and when I saw it, I was in college. Sure. So it it was. I was willing to put up with more in a film. <laughs> if I watch it now, I'd probably find it. It a sounds bit like more you're describing a Kevin Smith film. Probably. That, that, that's I, how I, I felt well, in well, terms of like the progression of your opinion. I, yeah. Well, yeah, I saw it. I mean, I saw it around the same time that, like you said, yeah. that Kevin Smith was a thing. So I think, I, I think, like we said about the Kevin Smith uh, films, I I've probably matured more than they have yeah. at this point. I've exactly. probably matured. Yeah, the more movies than, are written in stone at that yeah, point. It's like they're exactly. just going to sit there being perfect for seventeen year olds. Yeah, and exactly. Th- and I think I think that's exactly what and it no is. slight to them. It's just you know everyone goes through a phase where they're like not into it, into it. Oh my god, this is the best thing ever. Uh, there's this great. There's this great. Oh scene. no, there are good things too. <laughs> oh oh, there's this other thing, and that's what. Wow, I was, I was so seventeen when yeah. I saw that movie. Yeah, the the film thematically, like I think you know the filmmakers do, and it's sad to me because like the filmmakers of Overnight have not done a lot since. They certainly haven't done any more documentaries. For whatever reason, they this is a documentary that's a result of the access they had once. Exactly, and so it's not it's not a testament yeah. to their skills as a, as any kind of filmmaker. It's just or even necessarily their interest. I mean, at that and, point, yeah, yeah. and exactly. that's totally fine. There are people who have made very successful. Well, documentaries it's like the guy who made Dear Zachary. You know, it's yeah. kind of like well, whoops, I look what I happen to have. Yeah, you know, and like, that, and maybe he is a great filmmaker. It's just that will he ever make a film like that again? Well, a I hope. Not. <laughs> yeah, really, <that's laughs> I really hope not. Like B, could you blame him for like this is no. his one major experience in the Hollywood system in the movie making process. He didn't see overnight. He was in overnight yeah. the right. whole time. Right. Yeah. Can you the, could you blame him for being like fuck this? I'm gonna go style hair. Yeah. The I'm last out. the yeah. last time I went, I tried to make a movie, it went horribly wrong. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so right. I'm not gonna do that anymore. Well, it's the same thing with capturing the Freemans. The guy like had a family who had access to yeah all these home movies of this family disintegrating around him. So yeah, the access is unfettered. Uh, the, there are a couple times though where I think the filmmakers show real skill. Uh, there is a scene towards the end where. You know, the movie's basically in the can. The band has changed their name from the... the, the they had a, some shitty name before. Imagica. No, and then they, and then they <laughs> changed it to the Boondock Saints because, you know, ride that gravy train. Um, it's not a magic if, oh, it, if it had worked, yeah, sure. that would have yeah, been yeah. A, a pretty good idea, actually. The, Otis Day the, and the Nights is still touring. The band does a photo shoot for their album cover, and... <laughs> when you listen to, like, what they're talking about, and then you see this, like, montage of them getting their photos like i felt immense pity for troy duffy at that moment yeah because it's like he because they're they're basically what is the photo shoot they're all in black leather jackets they've all dyed their beards they've all (laughs) they're all against a chain leak fence in some shitty part of town with pit bulls on chain leashes and i'm like you poor thing you think this is cool like this is no, but that, it's it's this arrested development. Like yeah. this is yeah. what I think is cool. That's crystallized, like their script. Yeah, their script is like like you said. It is it's ninety four personified. It's like <laughs> it's like it's like <laughs> if nineteen ninety four was a movie. To make a comparison to like okay, Iron Man comes out. And it's a huge hit. So DC's like we, Warner Brothers. Like we've got comic book character. Let's comic book characters, and then they make fucking Green Lantern. And yeah. but it's like forgetting exactly why Iron Man was cool. You know, not really understanding why that shit is cool, and like. This poor guy, and I'm going to say Troy Duffy, this poor guy, has a really stunted, arrested idea of what is cool and not, and that's ultimately part of his undoing. Well, it also yeah. feeds that whole, that whole aspect of it, all that feeds into the controlling the narrative idea, where it's like, it's like, it's all about the leather jackets and the pit bulls. It's like, uh, how's the music coming, exactly? It's all about, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the controlling the narrative, like, this is us and we're cool. Like, oh, let's hear a song then. Right. Tell me, yeah, let's see how cool <laughs> you are. And there seems to be this sort of loss of focus of, isn't this really about making a movie and not about 
how the publicity and the you know the cover art and, right. and everything else and so whereas Troy's brother actually seems concerned with the music and the craft and their producer was like the brother's got real talent you know yeah. the brother's got I think he could do something really big with his skill as a musician whereas Troy is just sulking in the corner playing guitar yeah. you know so it's it's an interesting film I highly the recommend. brood thank you guys the brood yes the that's the band <laughs> what the brood band nice name. I was in a band in high school I was in a band in high school and we had some of the worst band names ever but none were as bad as the brood kaleidoscope <laughs> uh, station <laughs> cardinal cardinal sin motherfucker oh nice uh, my band is called Tig Christie <laughs> no no it's it's godless well, there's, and it's, there's also it's godless and Beach. that's amazing that's a great name but like anyway so, our, our intro theme well not this intro theme but the other show's intro theme is it's now, but here's so, Harvey Weinstein online so now that one, we've now that we've spent a uh, you know, 45 minutes, like talking about how, how shitty is let's, let's kind of end this on a morbid note. Um, Troy Duffy basically didn't make a penny off of the, uh, home video sales of boondock, but he did keep all the merchandising rights, the little George Lucas that he is, uh, and basically kept himself That's alive. Probably where it was coming from. No, so, yeah. Basically kept himself alive, uh, and support himself financially with like hot topic, bills. hot topic, buying out tons of boondock saints gear. And then ultimately he got funding for boondock saints too, which had a theatrical and home video run that he did make money off of the filmmakers of overnight. Haven't done anything since. <laughs> yeah. So, was Troy Duffy right? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> honestly, like it raises this interesting question of that, you know, in terms of like what is more sustainable and, and more memorable art, ultimately Troy found his audience that sort of, I mean, sort of he like, you can look at anyone's life at the end of it and say, see everything happened the way it was meant to. But yeah. I think what he was intending to have happen and what for all the world seemed like Hollywood mm-hmm. was trying to make happen for him. He totally failed in what he was trying to pull off because right. it looked like for a second there, if he had maneuvered correctly, he had a massive shot. He, he would have owned the town if he. Yeah. If, yeah. He, if he had, he would have been, been, been the next. Laid Tarantino. low, yeah. did his thing. Been Tarantino. You know, focused on the music, focused on the movie, focused on relationships, focused on playing this game, and not just trying to swing a big club around. Well, he, he probably would have. You know, he he probably would have done better than he ended up and, doing. And yeah, ultimately, yeah. like you said, it's it he was ended all up about pulling it off by the skin of his teeth. But it wasn't what the world was trying to give him. He was yeah. He was more concerned with how how he looked. How he, you know, and 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 all of that, and and looking cool, and and uh, j- telling telling the story of how cool he is, yeah. As opposed to actually it's like following through and accomplishing it. Playing, it's like he's he's, yeah. he's singing you the ballad of how cool Troy Duffy is. Yeah. So uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that old tome. Now I, one more thing about this because I don't know, and maybe someone else does. Because since I paid so little attention to Boondock Saints one and certainly none, you know, I get kind of like idly. Oh, that guy got to make finally a sequel. Uh, that's wild. Surely it came up. I can't imagine any other question coming up when he was making Boondock Saints 2 or any time between the release of Overnight to the present day. Yo, dog, did you see that? Has there, yeah. Has Troy, Troy Duffy surely has commented on his own portrayal in Overnight. Oh, absolutely. And what is his take on it? His take is that the filmmakers are Judases. I did nothing but support them and love them, and they uh. only showed me at my absolute worst. <laughs> so, learning curve, and there's no, none, none whatsoever. Uh, he goes out of his way to this day to shit talk Overnight, and actually uses the fact that they haven't done much sense against them and as to, like, prove his point. Wow. Like, he, on, he's like, there, you know, he, he's not shy about it. He said publicly many times that um, you know, every scene is devoid of context. You don't see the two minutes before the three minutes after. It's like, yeah, but at what point do you stop, Troy? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there I'm sure had this yeah. each scene been the two minutes minute before would have totally redeemed. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. They, they, they don't see who's on the other end of those conversations. They don't hear what Harvey is saying to me. They don't see. And it's just again, it's 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 that persecution complex of like you didn't you know, you you showed me at my worst. But again, when you shoot a film over four some odd years, 
you're getting a pretty good mean yeah. average of of who they are as a person. Wow. I'm surprised know? he couldn't stop the movie. From, he could from at any time coming out. Oh, yeah. from, no, no, and this and this is an interesting. And I'm glad you brought this up. Yeah. Um, if you and this is good advice. If you're doing a documentary where you're going to follow people, get your releases and your deals signed up front. Yeah. It's like a prenup. I cannot. It is. It's, yeah. it's ironclad to the point. I mean, another great example of this is the wrestling documentary by Barry Blaustein called Beyond the Mat. And he filmed this over six years. He wanted to do it. He grew up loving pro wrestling and he wanted to do a documentary that was just sort of a slice of life of the industry. He partnered early on with WWE when WWE was kind of financially in the shitter, like circa 96, they were on the verge of bankruptcy. So he got permission from them. He interviewed Vince McMahon, Jim Ross. Basically, he got to tour Titan Towers. He got to like sit in on creative meetings. Um, but then the documentary evolved and then he started following people like Jake the Snake Roberts who was battling a crack addiction and, and peeing in the bleachers of, of indie shows he was wrestling at and Terry Funk who's wrestling his last match with the doctor saying... Uh, you can't do this anymore. And Terry Funk's like, okay, well, how long can I go until I'm in pain where I can't move? He's like, now you're in that now. You need to stop. <laughs> and, and was the Funk, wrestler based on that guy? I was gonna uh, ask the same thing. The wrestler's kind of loosely based on Jake the Snake and got like basically a guy who was like a mid-level star in the '80s who has grown past his. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, Aronofsky talks quite frankly about the fact that's loosely based on Jake the Snake, but he follows a bunch of other people and talks about like the drug addiction and the death. And at that point, Vince McMahon and the WWE was like, whoa, this isn't what we signed up for. And Barry Blossom was like, motherfucker, you signed a contract. <laughs> you signed releases. I have you like it's, that's it. And yeah. there was literally and WWE who has a very strong legal division was powerless. Yeah. So if they Did could you do sign anything, the, you signed. Oh, yeah. God. Sign your leases up front. Ne a, a friend of mine uh, interviewed a pretty prominent sports figure. Uh, that he was on a handshake deal with failed to get the release and couldn't release his film at the end of the day. Yeah. So that will happen. So that's that's you know to get behind the curtain a little bit. And someone's talking about beyond the mat. Ewing, of course. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Ewing. No. It, it, no. And, and that's not a diss. Like I mean, no, because I, I know Ewing has seen it before. Um, but yeah, it, it is. It is a very good documentary. It's not. It, it's not like expertly craft, but the stories are so compelling. Well, that's that's and we've talked about this before. Is is. There, there, there can be two different kinds of documentaries. There's the one that just based on just purely on the strength of, oh, my God, this is amazing. And I'm yeah. so amazing that someone had a camera on this happening, which overnight is kind of that. You know, that's not yeah. it's not a badly made movie by any means. It, it doesn't ruin the story it's trying no. to tell. It just tells it. Um, does that segue us to the other topic for the yes. day, which is stories we stories tell, we which tell. is which is an entirely crafted, amazingly artistic yes. take on a documentary topic which is kind of the 100 again a fascinating story that probably would have been almost as fascinating or just as fascinating if it had been told with a high eight camera and just talking heads exactly because you would go oh my god what a crazy story but story one of the reasons i find yeah. the stories we tell is you know again the idea that a documentary the basic documentary form is well what happened you know but uh, but the stories we tell adds this whole layer of artistic artifice on it that becomes a commentary on the topic and i'm gonna let it's fascinating i'm gonna let you i'm gonna let you get into that because I, I i'm dying to hear like you break this down because i know you responded well to it <laughs> okay but um to get to so basically stories would help 2013 directed by sarah polly if that name does not sound familiar to you she's one of the lead characters in dawn of the dead she was in go circa 98 she was also a child that's actress. who she is she's the girl yeah. in, she's the girl in baron munchausen baron munchausen she's a little girl from adventures of baron munchausen with terry gilliam she was a canadian child film star who kind of transitioned to an actress but then well, she manages to never mention yeah, well, that's, yeah well that's one of the amazing things about stories which yeah. is she doesn't play that trade off that by the way i'm famous yo so yeah. that makes no. this more interesting so she, she she never plays that card but she from that after dawn of the dead she transitions to a very 
awesome career as a director. She directed this 2006 film called Away From Her, which I don't know if you've seen, but it's stunning. And it's won all this, kinds of awards. It won, it won a bunch of independent spirit awards. It was about this elderly couple and the, the woman is suffering from Alzheimer's. And it's just this heavy, like really deep story and, and uh, really good performances and, and a very, it's like a delicate directing hand, but very guided, if, if that makes any sense. I highly recommend that. Then she made this 2011 film called Take This Waltz. And the reason why I bring that up... Oh, I've heard of that. ...is because if you look... I don't want to get... Spo- just go watch Take This Waltz. Great, you're back. Um, <laughs> I haven't so, seen it. How was it? It was great. Uh, but no, Take This Waltz, it was really interesting, and it was a really interesting film, but then when you pair Take This Waltz with essentially the true life analog, which is the documentary called Stories We Tell, uh, which is a... To just a very general, it's a it's an exploration of basically her family roots, and she interviews all the members of her family. She interviews her father, uh, and she talking about predominantly her mother, who's several years past at this point. Uh, and they're all sort of telling their story in the recollection of their mother and their relationship to their dad. And from that, this deeper story imagines, and Trey take it. <laughs> well, and and this is a a case of. Um you know, this is kind of spoilery because I think the, the, the way the film unfolds is, is part of the, what's really fascinating about it. But it gets it, so. to the spoiler pretty early. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, it, and it pretty much telegraphs that you're like, oh, my God, I think I know where this is going to go. And, and, and that's, that's not the ending. Like, surprise, this nope. was what happened. It's like, it's okay, now what is what exactly. most of the movie is Similar about. to The Imposter, like when we discussed about yeah. that. But. So it's, it's, I, I would recommend, you know, you try and check it out. It's on Netflix right now. Yeah. It is on Netflix. It's on know, iTunes. Just, just watch yeah. it. It's a, it's, a, it's a fun movie. Um, so here I will proceed to spoil what there is to spoil about it. Um, it's about, you know, getting into her, her family roots and everything. And here's what got me because I'm someone who started my life in, in showbiz uh, by shooting 8mm movies when I was a mm-hmm. kid because my parents had an 8mm camera. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Can I play with that? They're like, yeah, sure. We're not doing anything with it. So 8mm in general is just very much the core of, of who I am. So there's all this 8mm footage in the movie of her mom and this, you know, this period things. And I was like, wow, you know, it's amazing that this family that, you know, talk about it, lucky having a camera on it. I was, I was marveling at this movie because she would talk about her mom and there would be this amazing footage of her mom doing exactly that and illustrating exactly what she's talking about. And I was like, wow, this is so amazing that they happen to get exactly, you know, these amazing moments on camera. And then, the big okie doke the movie pulls is at the end the movie reveals that those were all recreations that were almost you know many of them were recreations that were all part of the making of the movie which feeds back into the idea of stories we tell and how we filter things through memory and how we remember things versus how they really were and and i was just like that's so weird that the movie like showed you stuff and then said by the way we faked it but by the way that's part of what we're talking about here yeah and that becomes the story as well. You know, I, I was just like, I was, I thought that was just amazing construction the way that it's was an amazing together. piece of sleight of hand because what uh, yeah. periodically they will, her mother was a actress, semi-famous Canadian actress. She had done some TV. She'd done a lot of theater and she'd done some screen tests for some stuff earlier in her life. And they show some of her mom, her actual, yeah, some of the footage is real because of so, course yeah. there were TV appearances. And yeah. So she, and, performances. Like, and yeah. she's singing the song. And if you, if you watch a trailer, the song that gets sung is like from her mom and the actress they got to portray her in the recreations looks startlingly yeah. like her, you know, to like a, astonishingly like her. The film starts off with Sarah Polly essentially in a VO booth directing her father, uh, in telling his story. And he's written out this long, book essentially yeah and he's reading it recording it to tape and so she's giving him direction and her father's british and he's kind of like 
he he kind of looks like uh um from Harry Potter, uh, Richard Griffiths. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looks like Richard Griffiths from Harry Potter, and he's he's just this kindly old British dude. And then again, spoilery kind of stuff. You come to find out that you know while her mother was away doing theater, she had an affair, and uh, that her father is not her dad. She has like four or five brothers or sisters that are all products of her dad except her her father she comes to meet later on was another theater actor from that time who kind of looks like gene shallot <laughs> yeah. uh, so or einstein or einstein yeah. and so and he's an actor and a writer and her the guy and so she she films recreations of her talking to her you know the father who raised her saying like okay you're not my dad but that's okay i love you and we're still together and it's like you're seeing it's like this big feedback loop of these things feeding in on each other and it's like it's like they're playing themselves at a different time and it's not a home movie. And, ah, like what's yeah. happening? Um, but it's a hundred percent genuine. The emotion is completely there. And at no time do you ever feel like anything is fake and you come for me, at least you this is not true of the entire panel, by the way. I, 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 and I get that. I want to get in on that. But for me, I felt like um, controlling the narrative. Like, um, you know, I was watching her and there's a line that Sam uh, Scarlett Johansson's character has in there. And she was talking about how, you know, Felix said something that hurt her. And she's like, but I kept realizing I just I just kept telling myself that story. And the past really is nothing but a story we tell ourselves. And to me, when I like that, to me, is much of what this movie is about, because I feel like when you find out a big piece of information, uh, you know, some big thing, you end up telling people and in telling it and telling it, you're kind of playing telephone with yourself in some Mm -hmm. ways. And especially if you're any kind of creative person telling that story, it's how you understand it yourself. It's how you process it. It's how you cope with it. It's how you deal with it. And from this, for me at and least, when you're, and also when you're telling a story, it's, you know, I mean, there's the, there's the aspect of you're trying to get the information across, but you're also trying to get an impact across. Yes. And so when you've, when you, tell the story multiple times you go okay if i tell it this way i get more of a reaction they you know i, I get the emotion across better right. and that way I embellishments way. lie and, and that's and then you start saying it a certain way you start embellishing mm-hmm. you start leaving things out because it's like okay that's distracting from you know the, the yeah. point i'm trying to get at you're you're editing like your own story yeah you're editing <laughs> you're it rewriting. and you're, you're revising it yeah. to make it an effective story but that makes it a less accurate story not just not just an effective story but ultimately we're all the protagonists of our own story right so uh, over time telling those stories becomes a ways to sharpen your own narrative as 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 <laughs> yeah. the protagonist and i think that's just a natural human thing to do I think that's in varying degree. You know, I think Troy Duffy is obviously very different than, than Sarah Pauly. But I think... <laughs> There's a round table as a, yeah. to happen. <laughs> he was trying to write his present. Yeah. Yeah, he was trying to write his present like in the moment, whereas I think she was just trying to understand... Because the big... The, the, the unique thing about this story is like, this is a thing that happened before I was born and yet it recasts in many ways who I am or does it or how do I assert some sort of control over this? And then again, for her natural biological father... He had to like, okay, she's in my life now. She knows my life has to sort of reshape her. The father who raised her, it's okay. I I have to process this information. He's got to write a book. He's going to write a play. She's going to do a documentary. They're all just racing towards the middle to like to call firsties on this story. And from that, a natural conflict arises. And to me, it was just fascinating to see that unfold. But Teague, I know you felt very differently. Yeah, this um, (laughs) two disclaimers. One. The concept at work and sort of the, the, the intellectual exercise that this movie is trying to communicate, I find really interesting. Two, 
I woke up really early this morning. We were out late last night. It's our mm. buddy's bachelor party. I was the designated driver, so I'm not hungover. That's at least forgiving. But, you know, it's just like, oh, God, no sleep. And I watched this movie this morning just because it's the only one of the three things we're doing today I hadn't seen. So not exactly the fairest of all shakes. So you know how, like, sometimes you know someone who just, for some reason, this sort of banal movie that, like, everyone seems to find fine, they find, like, apocalyptically, life-imposingly, atomically awful like it's the it's the biggest deal in their life and you're like really holy what what huh why like you know it's i feel like um i feel like i'm in white because this movie was like dragging fish hooks across my nervous system the entire wow, time cool like i was sitting there like <laughs> i i would not have made it very far into this movie if we weren't going to be talking about it um like i said i, I find the what they're getting at interesting uh but something about this movie rubbed me the wrong way with sandpaper. I was wow. just sitting there fucking what? loathing this can, movie. Can you articulate why? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was... Oh, good. It was an... It's this tremendous fucking massively self-indulgent affectation. It's a selfie on a photoshopped beach. Fucking... <laughs> no one finds this interesting. You are way too interested in your own story and you're trying to take every people's ability to tell the story themselves and squash it so you can do your documentary and I walked away with this, like, with fuck you, Sarah Pauly, in neon lights. Wow. In my brain. Just fuck you. I hated this movie so much. Wow. And I love the idea of it. And I love what she's trying to get at. But just something about the execution just rubbed me so hard the wrong way. Was it the recreation specifically? Or yeah. By the it? way, I called that in the first 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> so the whole time I'm just sitting there going like, you so I, like, I, called, so I was like, I dear it. Zachary, stop whining. So your buddy got shot. Right. Who like, cares? It was just, I was, oh, God damn it. It was just, uh, and uh, aside from that. And this is part and parcel of what she was trying to get across. So this is a, a tangential issue I have with it, aside from my overall just global reaction. I, I have a problem with telling a story in a way where now I don't know what's real. Because I think the point you're supposed to take away from that... And folks, my life is a lie! Folks that are headier uh, than I tend to be when they're thinking about movies tend to be like, well, yeah, but you know, that's what art's supposed to be, blah, 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 blah. I, when I don't know if I can trust a word you're saying, you're wasting my fucking time. That's how I kind of approach movies like this sometimes. And this one just hammered me in the face with that feeling where it's like, I don't believe you're crying dad right now. I don't believe anything about this story. You're in my face with your lies. I don't care. Get out of my mind. Yeah, it was freaking me out so much. I, I did have. Oh, it hit me so hard. It didn't. It didn't hit <laughs> wow. me like that. But <laughs> like I said, this is a weird yeah. thing for me. Like, it, I don't get this mad at movies. It didn't hit me <laughs> like that. But I but I will say I didn't really Loved the movie. I thought it was okay. I, but a lot of people were so excited about it, and I'm watching it and expecting it to take like this Dear Zachary turn where it's like, okay, right. I'm going to find out why anybody cares about this story. There you go. And then it and then it gets to the end, and I'm like, oh, so it's just kind of you guys then. Yeah, it's just your your mom had an affair, as sometimes happens. You were someone else's child. <laughs> now I want to know about your background. Everything's every hey, mom had an affair, and you're actually not your dad's kid. Bip! So well, what? Big but, deal. Well, but you can. You not can, important. There, there. Why? Why this story? There are so many other people who have essentially that story, or you, you know, could could have that story. And these people and, don't and, seem and particularly and, damaged and, by and it. And these people all went, huh? Okay. Well, I. I <laughs> uh, so there's, I'm, and I'm, I'm going. So there wasn't even like. Yeah, if it's like it made the household explode or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then I, I would, I would argue that this is the equivalent of. Um, you know, well, the 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 world has to end and or be in under threat of ending in the third act. No, 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 no. The straw man. I, I, don't, no, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I think it's. I, I think you can make a small story interesting, but I have to believe the characters. Well, that's, that's the way that works. And you didn't believe you didn't believe the character. You no, believe, and it's Sarah Polly's fault. I'm I'm almost sure intellectually 
that her dad was telling the truth like mm-hmm. his I, I anyways giving an actual interview and not reading lines and performing but i don't feel like for i me, know that for me this is it's the equivalent of the the other conversation we we have about movies which is why did you tell me that story <laughs> like okay the the it, these are the stories we tell okay you told that story okay <laughs> I, I, I think i think there i think it's I, again it goes back to the idea that you think your life is one story mm-hmm. and then there's just this one thing baked in the cake that has the potential to sort of unnerve that and i think you're tracking sort of mm. her thoughts in real time of her grappling with her identity because what is your identity if not the story you tell yourself yeah uh-huh. who, I, who I, are you if not the thing that you've been telling yourself yeah your and i find life? all that really interesting i, I really do that, I, I sound sarcastic i find, I'm not. That, I, I find that interesting i find that you just don't feel like that was communicated properly in the film yeah. I, I, I think I would, it was communicated effectively i'm not i'm not sure it I struck me as vapid in the film i think I, it'd be more interesting in another execution but just generally something about her filming herself watching her tell her dad what to read about her was just so. Oh, I want to throw my screen across the yeah, room. That was that. That it's didn't like, bother uh, me, but it was. It was the fact that it's like massively self indulgent. I didn't feel the sense of the wrestling with identity because it's like, yeah, we're growing up, everybody made jokes about uh, you know you were you look very you, different. You you look yeah. different. You're you're someone else's kid, and we all took it. And she's was like, well, maybe I am someone else's kid. And she went around. And she's like, oh, I am just not the someone else that I thought I was. Right. Yeah. And uh, which that was a fun kind of tweak yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, I didn't get the what I I want to see the movie that that wrestles very specifically with ex, with what you're talking about right. thematically. That sounds really fascinating, and I feel like this was just kind of like hey, this this is a weird thing that that you know this is this is this a story we tell when people come over for dinner, you know, and 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 we laugh and you know, it's a, <laughs> oh mom, well it's just, I'm I, sure this movie's fascinating for her family, but it's like she made a, an episode of This American Life for her family, and, maybe well, she, and, and, maybe and she, she totally did, yeah. and it's not her fault that it you know got a theatrical release and won some <laughs> right. awards. I mean, because I think in the end, you know, this is a story of like you know talk about documentary filmmaker who doesn't you know documentary filmmakers sort of as the general rule you shouldn't get involved in the story you should just be it's like but she's like starting this process and going oh my god i am the core of this story i mean it's like it's like mm-hmm. the the end result of all of this is my existence and so she can't remove herself from it and it's about how do i you know how do i deal with it it's a movie about the, that's the topic and it's not about here's how the towers fell on 9-11 it's sarah Pauly going this is how, what my life is about. This is how I came to be. She can't not be in that story. It's, yeah. it, she is the topic of the story. Right. So it's about, it, you know, I was, I see the whole process of making the whole movie is just a version of, I'm watching Sarah Polly come to grips with this and try and, you know, come at it mm-hmm. from different directions. And if you're not interested in how she's dealing with it, well then no, you're not going to be interested in the movie and that's perfectly fair. Yeah. But I don't think you can rail against the existence of the movie just anymore. You can rail against someone going to therapy and talking about their life <laughs> and trying to work it out for themselves. Yeah, no, I, I, like, I totally get that. So, so it's like, and I'm, I'm sure she's a wonderful person, by and the way. I, and I was, I was fascinated by just the, you know, I'm, I, I saw the documentary. It's not about here's my messed up family. Ultimately it's a documentary about Here's me trying to frame this background that right. I didn't realize I had and and get it, get my mind around it and then try and figure out what it means if it means anything and and I'm a filmmaker so I'm going to approach it filmically watch yeah. me here I go doing it if if a and, song, if a songwriter is able to write a song about something deeply personal and put it on their album then I think a filmmaker is allowed to make a film about something that's deep. Oh, I'm not saying anything's not allowed. Right. No, I, I guess I'm not allowed, but I guess, I guess what I'm saying is like, if, if that I is... Guess I, and I might have also been more interested if I had understood that she was 
a filmmaker. She was she was somebody that I could know and, and yeah, yeah. I didn't know like, who she was when we when I watched this. Yeah, be like, right, oh, right. I'm, you know, I'm hearing a, I'm hearing the the personal life of you know a filmmaker or something. Like I didn't know who she was. I'm like just some random just some random girl decided to make a you know a story about her life and yeah. about her family and and stuff like that. And it's well made, but okay, it, you know. So. I, I think I think this movie is almost kind of like required double viewing with Take This Waltz because I think mm-hmm. if you see Take This Waltz and then see this after you're like they, they really are yin and yang to each other like mm-hmm. as they're essentially the same story but they approach it from different perspectives and you can see how one informs the other it's in many ways the equivalent of a one for me one for them you know it's it's the yeah. idea that even though her one for them is an indie yeah. feature that you know didn't have a gigantic audience but still you know this movie was not she didn't sit down at a pre-production meeting going, okay, here's what our act one is going to be. Here's what our act two is going to be. That never happened. This is her. I'm filming this in real time and let's just see where this goes. And a lot of documentaries are like that, but in the end they, they have the benefit of looking like a preconceived thing from, from back to nuts. Again, that's what, what I responded to about it. And you know, it was just my own take on it is eventually the documentary closes that loop Mm -hmm. and become the documentary is the process of dealing with it. And you've been watching that happen, but now it's about here's how we made that happen. And we we jump back in time to show. And some of the things we did was these recreations and, you know, and and what was that like to do those? And it's like, my God movie, you're like, you know, you're an onion. You're just uh, wheels within (laughs) wheels. It's really, again, I, it's, I just, I thought it was fascinating and it's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, that uh, you guys didn't know who Sarah Polly was and therefore you had a different take on it. Because I think if you watch, oh, here's a movie, here's a documentary Quentin Tarantino made out where he found out that he's an illegitimate child. You would go, oh, I can't wait to see his take on that. It's going to be crazy. And anything would have been acceptable probably in that context. It's like it could have turned into a cartoon for 10 minutes and you would <laughs> go, oh, he's such a genius. Um, so so it's like interesting that she doesn't get a pass for being a normal person. She but, Oh, she's a film director. Oh, I guess it's cool that she did that then. I which I'd known is an interesting thing that they're no, right there. That, that is an but, interesting point. But I, the but what I'm getting at is is again it's like well that it's the, not, the, the, not doc, the, the documentary is about the process of her dealing with that you know and and, and dealing with that and it's just it's, she doesn't it, seem to deal with it though it's yeah. that journey it's, the, it's a, it's you're this, never done dealing I, I, I'm not, <laughs> no but there's I'm, there's very little of her personality in this her I'm, personality I'm, creates the thing but she never kind of addresses how she's feeling about and maybe it. there should have been more of her in there in that respect yeah I don't know? I don't have the the problem that Teague does with the style and with the recreations and stuff like that I'm totally fine like you said if Tarantino did it and, and <laughs> yeah. he made it cartoons if she had made it cartoons it wouldn't have bothered me either it, you know that kind of thing it was just legitimately like okay why who are you and why am i listening to your story and it's she doesn't you know she didn't have to be famous or anything but it's like but then why am i listening there is to no your story? Char- there is no character <laughs> development of sarah Polly in yeah. this movie at all yeah and it's largely about her and it's her asking people about herself but she's never because i didn't even know anything about her at all maybe this could have worked just as well with a random civilian um well just as well in this case sorry but um but when you come into it knowing that she's a person and she's an actor and you, you know like a sentence about her that at least gives you some sort of a sense of character status stasis who she is what what's going on here and since this movie never she doesn't ever want to just like you know go into the camera and just talk prose at it and tell her it's it, you, you're going behind I have no the, idea who she you're is going the behind time. the scenes of a life and I'm like but what is the scenes well, what well that's what's interesting is again 
since the context is so different, because my take on it, I mentioned this before we started recording, one of the things I really appreciate about it is, and she didn't even trade off of her own fame. Right. She didn't go, yeah. okay, look, I was the kid in Baron You might Munch- know me from I Baron was the Munchausen. kid in Baron Munchausen. Yeah. When this shit was going down, I was on an island in Spain with Eric Idle, you know, throwing cannonballs. I mean, you know, this is, my life is nuts in, enough, but get this part. You know, that she, she doesn't trade on the fact that, yeah, and I got nominated for this Oscar, and then, you know, and I was in Dawn of the Dead, you probably saw that. That, you know, she, that she doesn't go into that. She, she doesn't use any of that to go, here's why you should give a shit about who I am. Mm-hmm. The only original I like that art- she yeah. didn't because I knew that she wasn't doing it. The only original art of hers you see in the entire film is her shitty art school film <laughs> that she shot yes. with her father shivering in a pool. Yeah. The poor man. So, I, and again, I respect that. And it's interesting how the context flips that on its head because I respect the fact that she didn't trade off the fact like, I'm Sarah, I'm TV's Sarah Polly, who you know from Baron. It's like, no, this is about my family. It's not about my career as an actress or a director. This is a story about my family. That's what I'm telling. I, and, and, you know, again, it's... Like any other movie, you don't owe her anything. So if you don't care about that story, that's perfectly fine. But I, I think I was I knew enough about her to go, wow, that she has to deal with this crazy this crazy thing in her life. <laughs> I would if you know, and and just on a human level, it's like, well, I've never, you know, there's a lot of documentaries about stuff that I've never experienced and will never experience. But you know, just as a human story, like, wow, that's a hell of a thing to go as through. a small human story. I, know. I would just, as a thought experiment, I would just propose, you know, the other thing that stood out to me is that it's not even necessarily a story about her as much as it is trying to, uh, trying to like put the pieces back together of who her mother is, you know, because it's very yeah. much in it. Well, like, that's, 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 again, that's what I was saying. It's, yeah. It started out about, I'm going to find out by looking at all the directions that we can look at it from. I'm going to find out who my mom was because, right. you know, she died when I was very young and, you know, and now she's kind of this, She's just sort of this crystallized artwork, and I really want to know who she was as a person because she was a person. She's not just a memory. And then as the story unfolds, it's like that's when the filmmaker suddenly gets pulled into the story and becomes the center of the story. It's like, I am the result of who my mom was that is not necessarily a good thing, so how do I deal with it? So, again, that's... But yeah, it started. It's a it's a documentary that started heading in one direction, mm-hmm. and then veered off into a whoops. I didn't know we were going here, but strap in, here it comes. And and, and because of like how the documentary starts, like that's why I have no problem with the ending because it's it starts from for me at least. I guess it starts from a very earnest place. I identify greatly with trying to figure out your parent who's no longer on this planet who you thought you knew but you keep finding stuff out after the fact and they're not there to defend themselves so you get really sort of conflicted of what's the best way to articulate their voice when they're not here for them you know and it's so it's like i i got that i identified largely with that like trying to like figure out okay i can't i can i can ask mom stuff about stuff that happened to her i can't ask dad about like you know in my case i can't ask my dad about this thing my dad was 41 when he had me so he had his whole fucking life before me that i'm never really going to get the full picture on so i identify greatly with her with like going like oh so my mom was this who did this and does that invert does that change how does that fit into this and then from that you end up finding shit about yourself you know and i you know i guess for me that's why a good i'm i'm for me that's why i'm compelled by this ultimately very tiny journey she's going yeah. on but it you know and i it's interesting I, to see that that I, I doesn't land for everybody i didn't feel the process of discovery when i watched it sure. i felt like yeah. everybody already knew this story and they were just repeating it as opposed to as this process was going on it was like whoa i didn't know that i didn't know that this was in there and stuff like that it was like this had all it, it felt laid out to to me you were saying it's not it's not like she sat down and said we're gonna do this and this and this it felt that way to me that she went that she went this is this is the story 
this is I want to make a, a documentary about this to tell the world our story. And uh, I so the the whole time I was kind of if I had felt more of that process of discovery of her going, whoa, I didn't know that. I just came here to ask you about mom and and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Then. Um, Zachary I think I nails been, that kind of thing. I think I would have been more engaged with it sure. in that sense. Yeah. Well, I think I, I I'm not sure either way. I, th- I think actually I I may have sort of misspoke earlier. I th- I think she probably did know the whole story when yeah. she started making the movie. Well, she started and it's all about yeah. how she chose to reveal it to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, it's called stories we tell. Right. And she's telling us a story, and you know, it's like here's how I'm telling the story about the stories we tell, and here's how I told the story, and I'm going to tell you how I told the story. And again, I. It's to me. It's it's if nothing else, it's one of those movies that's like even if I wasn't engaged by the subject matter, I happen to be. I'm so impressed by boy, you did something with documentaries I have not seen yeah. a lot. You know, it's like we're talking about okay, you had a topic about this guy who crashed and burned and was an amazing asshole, and we love watching him just tear himself apart on screen. Great, you've got a documentary. You can win awards with that. You can make money with that award. Here's this filmmaker who's going to make a documentary that adds this amazing series of layers and artifice to it all of which ties right. together with the whole theme that she was going for. I thought, well, you know, you go. I think it's Sarah impressive. Bali. I think I, it's an impressive accomplishment. Yeah. And that's and I'm glad we're transitioning to this because that is sort of it's a really exciting time for documentary filmmaking because recreations are so effing tricky. Yeah. Very few people pull it off. Errol Morris pulls it off, but very few people can actually pull off successful recreations and she did. And we're seeing a time <laughs> where we're getting a lot we're really kind of broadening it's, it's weird. It's almost like with the rise of reality TV and how homogenized that gets um, in, in terms of its storytelling devices, the rest of documentary filmmaking is kind of like really broadened out to be we're in, like between this and active killing and how it tells its story. Like it's we're shooting a movie and here's the film noir scene and here's, here's the musical and here's the country western scene about genocide. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it's it's we're really I'm, I'm excited that we're seeing more of this. And if if for nothing else, regardless of what you say, to the film, uh, if this is the film that inspires somebody else to like say well she could do that like that maybe i could tell this story like this and maybe you know i think that i think this i'm you know who knows if i'm accurate about this or not but i wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years you're gonna see other documentary filmmakers go yeah stories we tell was a pretty influential film for me you know and and between that and a couple others it really opened my eyes about what documentaries could be just like errol morris and you know gates of heaven and fast cheap and out of control and mr death and thin blue line expanded my horizon of what a documentary thin blue line be. was the first one that i saw where i was like wow yeah. that's not I, like other documentaries. what's crazy is i loved f is for fake yeah f is for fake <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, uh, uh shit um something. well again see i think i think thematically that you can get away with that if that's what the movie is yes. if that's what your topic is then of course that all feeds together yeah uh, uh, Reservation Park or something like that or it's like another fake documentary but there's uh, and you know and, 21st uh, Dates is actually plays with that too it's one of my favorite uh, 21st document. Dates 21st uh, Dates is I, I I haven't seen it in ages but I remember really just enjoying it for the pure, pure silliest yeah. of it there's I mean and there's like so for me there's I guess it's just I'm, I'm grateful this movie exists I up, on a personal level I connected to it on a technical level I admired the, the practice of it uh but I'm 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 very I'm legitimately intrigued by the fact that this plate is kind of, you know, um, ego feeding and maybe a bit maudlin. I'm 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 intrigued by that. So I'm I, I want to kind of give it another review and with that in mind, I don't think it'll change my opinion ultimately. But I'm I'm interested to see how that plays out. Um, yeah. So I mean that I think in t- in terms of how these two films compare, obviously you know they don't 
in many ways they don't but i think both are really interesting and successful in ways of they portray people grasping at the straws of trying to like maintain control of a story which is kind of why i put them together does anybody have any other documentaries that in their mind kind of fit into this theme that they know off the top of their head hmm I, I, was, you, I wasn't ready for the question, st- but if you give me a second, hold on. I, I, you, <laughs> brought up, actually, you brought up Startup. So. I did, yeah. Startup, uh, startup.com certainly has that. It's, it makes me wonder, like, I want to see Troy Duffy's version of Overnight. That would be great. I want to see his. I want to see him take the footage and cut together his, like, no, here's really more the real mm-hmm. version. No. You know um, what I want to see? I want to see his version of Kid Stays in the Picture. Uh, yes, I want to see yes. him telling his own story with glamorous photos yes, and animation. Exactly, I want to see that yesterday. And the kid stays in the picture again is very stylized and has a lot of artifice to it. But again, that feeds what it is. It's all about you know the you know the, the perception and the glamour in Hollywood and uh, and here's all these pictures of me with you know doing these things and I'm kind of a big deal. But that's what that movie right. is. So so that that thematically made sense to me as well. Kid stays in the picture easily could have been a three for on this one, but three firsts are just exhausting. And I don't think we could do a yeah, three really. top. But, but um, but yeah, you know, gov or the startup.com. Uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be it, it easy. is about oh, know, that becomes it just becomes about that. It starts out yeah. like it's all going to be so awesome, and we're just going to document it, and it's going to be fabulous, and it's going to be you know we're going to watch this every Christmas with the family about, and that's how I met your mother, kids, you know, and, right? And that's the how I end, became a billionaire, exactly, yeah. and that's why we all live here and you know on the moon, and it turned <laughs> out to be like you know this crash and burn, and everyone hates everyone, and everyone's backbiting, and you know the money's there, and everyone's suing everyone, and. Uh, and yeah, it becomes about the, the the film itself becomes like wait, I have to grab hold of this because this is the world is going to see this probably. And what did I say before? And and how do I back that up? And how do I try? And how do I now? I need to bat you know stab that guy in the back to make sure that everyone understands he's the bad guy in this and I wasn't. And uh, so yeah, so it does. I think it does fit in the controlling the narrative where the documentary, like you said, the act of observing changes the events. Mm-hmm. The documentary becomes a bit about the documentary and about right. like, oh shit, this has been happening in real time on camera. Yeah, I and mean, that's what I was gonna say. It's like half of documentaries, it seems, are like these sort of didactic, polemic-y sort of agenda-based things where I'm gonna tell you about the way the gun laws in America work in Columbine or yeah. whatever, or here's what Mike McDonald's does to you or something like that. And you can make a case that all of those documentaries are all about controlling an image because you're basically just presenting one side of it and in so doing shaping it. Um, but stuff that like incidentally touches on this, uh, what's weird is the, the thing, that, the first thing that came to mind was uh, King of Kong was yeah. uh, the, um, Where, when, and the hot sauce guy has said, no, they totally represent, misrepresent yeah, right. that bad a guy. Yeah. That's and he's exactly who I was thinking of. Um, that's interesting because if you if you if you, if you center a documentary Billy around Mitchell? competition, Billy, Billy Mitchell. Mitchell. If you center a documentary around a competition, well, I won. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. I clearly won. So that in a way, that's an, there's an inherent value of well, okay, I'm I'm more inclined to trust that guy than the loser. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And um, obviously, there's a meta conversation about shaping a picture uh, w- w- uh, with exit through the gift shop. Mm. But that's another one that's sort of on. Actually, I guess it's, that would be the best answer is that's another one where it's like, how much of this do you think is fair for me to tell you this way? Where it's like you walk out of exit through the gift shop, not knowing if it's 100 percent accurate or zero percent accurate or it could be somewhere in the middle. Who knows? That kind of has this in common, I guess. I think I think there's there's an episode down the road we can do about like narratively passing the baton. And I think exit through the gift shop hits that pretty perfectly because you are taking you're passing the baton. You're you're the, the story. The storyteller shifts yes. midway through. It right. goes from Mr. Uh, yeah, and then kind of back again in a weird way. Yeah. You know, it goes Banksy um, brainwash Banksy. Yeah, exactly. But of course, then the question is like, dude, 
who is who is who whose story is the storytellers um who is mr brainwash <laughs> who is uh, banking the banksers <laughs> anything on the top of your head mike i uh, no i can't i can't really think of uh anything I've, and i've been thinking i'm like okay document uh, other documentaries that do that but um no i mean there's the polemical ones and then there are the ones that are also like here is a thing that people do <laughs> and, you know here's a guy who makes sushi but that i mean that one there there's there there's not an aspect of trying to control a narrative right. it's just here is him and and what it's like to exist around him you right. know and don't you want some sushi now yeah for seriously though yeah, um right yes. we're going to have to do a foodie one one of these yeah, days but you know, um, have it catered yeah so i can't uh, certainly like you say there's there's always an aspect to it um but i can't think of any off the top of my head that are uh, as the act on of killing that point as this one is the act of killing the act of killing yeah i mean yeah, certainly um, like it. yeah but we're for, like the i forget the main guy's name but uh anwar anwar right yeah. where he's had he's told himself the story for the last 40 years and over the course of this movie you watch him go oh my god my story was wrong by telling the by telling his own story by forcing himself to tell his own story he in fact re- by the movie he, forcing him to tell his story he yeah. learns he like, learns his story he, was he, wrong. Gets, he gets a glimpse of the truth but here's the thing about sort about act of killing that i wanted to bring up last time that i didn't uh, the last tw- okay, uh, go watch Actual Killing. Great, you're back. Um, oh yeah, you really got to go watch <laughs> yeah. Killing. Uh, go, I still yeah. haven't yet. I dry, just can't. But dry your you eyes. Pet a kitten for a while. Yeah. Dry, no, dry no, your no eyes for serious. Go watch the Actual um, Killing. Yeah. Uh, that's why I, I usually watch stuff at work, and I'm yeah. like, I from everything I hear about it. Here's the I'm, thing, you guys. I wasn't on the episode where you guys did Active Killing. Obviously, I still haven't seen Active Killing. It's one of those things. It's like Twelve Years a Slave. It's like I I don't want to see it. I know too <laughs> um, much about it. I don't want to see that. <laughs> go go lock up your prescription meds and then watch it and then come back. Um, yeah. But the last 20 minutes uh and this is i guess it's spoilery but not too bad uh basically anwar kind of you know in on the rooftop where he killed a thousand people with his own hands at the end of the movie um like you do like you do uh he has this realization and he starts forcing himself to empathize and he starts convulsively dry heaving uh for like 20 minutes straight and you're just you're grappling with him and he's saying all of these things he's talking about he's saying these oddly beautiful and poetic things and watching it a second time um it hit me um how much of that is performance how How much much, is he lying how much of that is him saying i realize i did a bad thing i realize this is bad i want to cover my bases here i'm scared that i don't feel more yeah how would a person who does feel the thing i'm supposed to be feeling perform I'm going to do that thing. And this, this is not just my speculation. Joshua Oppenheimer, the director, has talked about this himself. And he's grappling with that. Where he's himself. like, I'm not sure if Anwar was for real. He's still friends with Anwar. He still talks to Anwar. And for the sequel to Act of Killing, oh, called The Sound of Silence. <laughs> um, even killing her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the kill, the, the act kill, two of killing? The act, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> the act uh, the um, <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> uh, you know that's that's something that I hope he, he touches. That's me on. trying to cope with that movie, but yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> just it, just that it exists. Yeah, not even having seen it. Geez. But that's that. Uh, in terms of other like movies about uh, great making ofs, I talked about it. Killing Priscilla is going to be incredibly hard to find. Oh, I, I only I only saw. I, I've been writing down the titles. Yeah. I'm like, that sounds good. It, you I might find it on that. YouTube. It, it was basically I saw it on like Cinemax midday on a mm, Thursday yeah, once. It was really place you would find it. Yeah, yeah, it was really bizarre. Are and uh, but certainly worth looking for because it's a fascinating look of how like your your career tra- trajectory can go in the industry. Um, but there's also some classic ones. Um, 
there's other like great making of, i mean the 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 template for all of this is hearts of darkness uh go see that that is the making of apocalypse now yeah. shot by coppola's wife at the at the time no still wife um uh, shot by his wife and like over again a period of five years people are having heart attacks and nervous breakdowns and you have that famous line um you know there were too many of us we had too much money and little by little we went insane (laughs) uh which is just one of the great cinematic lines of all time it's like a gigantic version of the troy duffy story except in the end it was successful so all was forgiven so we're gonna we're gonna keep this conversation going on our boards at friendsyourhead.com ladies and gentlemen this has been documentality part of the friends your head network at friendsyourhead.com follow us on twitter uh twitter at friends and urhead Facebook friends in your head.com. Uh, our, uh, keep listening and subscribe to the iTunes. Help that metric, that uh, algorithm, whatever the hell it does. Uh, we have a PayPal button on the front page. Not asking, just saying, but screw it. I'm asking. Uh, I'm just asking. <laughs> yeah, just with the, no problem with asking. Amanda Palmer says it's okay to ask, so it's okay to ask. Uh, this has been Documentality. My name is Eddie Doty. Teague Christie. Mike Cap. Trace Dogs. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Good night. Good night.